Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Hey, can I, uh, I'm not going to ask your permission. I'm going to share a story to start that um, will probably make you embarrassed and maybe a little bit ashamed for me, and rightfully so. Uh, we're going back to Christmas in the mid-80s, I think. Um, I think I'm probably somewhere in the 9- or 10-year-old range. And I don't know what Christmas was like in your house growing up, but in our house, we knew that Santa had come. And I'm not sure at 10 what my realization of that was. Um, but Christmas morning, we knew that there was a mountain under the tree. And it was hard to stay in bed. And my parents would give us a morning curfew to say, you're not allowed out of your room until this time because, my goodness, we went to bed late and we need some rest. So as soon as we were allowed to come out of the room, we would dash downstairs and we would just look at the glory under the tree. And sometimes, honestly, the presents stole our focus. Uh, In some ways, how can they not? Um, but I remember going through that day unwrapping presents, and I'll be uh, honest with you and let you know that I don't remember a single thing that I opened that day, except I watched my brothers, who are both younger than I am, one by a couple years and one by almost six years, I watched them unwrap a very special present. Uh, first, my brother Kevin unwrapped his Cabbage Patch doll, which was all just the craze when we were kids. And then he had some cute little brown-haired curl boy doll. And then my younger brother, Danny, six years younger than me, opened up his. He had a bald-headed one, and you smelled the head, and it smelled so good. And I kept thinking, yes, this is the year of Cabbage Patch dolls. And I'm telling you this because you're going to be ashamed of me. Okay? And I kept thinking, I can't wait for mine. And I got to the end, and there was no Cabbage Patch doll for me. You know what I did? Yeah, I cried. I cried bad. And and my parents came and talked to me and said, Shannon, you're like 10. We didn't think you'd want a doll. But I want one. It's a cabbage patch. They're like the best thing in the world. I don't care about my other presents. We don't have one for you. Oh, it broke my heart. And I could, I could not be consoled no matter what. I can't even remember what other presents I got, but I could not be consoled. And my parents, it gets worse, went and had a talk with my youngest brother, six years younger than me, Danny. said, Danny. And Danny came walking over to me with his doll, and he gave it to me. And I was happy. <laughs> That's all I remember. I don't know what they promised him. I don't know if he just has that pure a heart. Uh, But I got my doll, and I was consoled. You ever look back and you're really embarrassed about a way that you reacted to something, and uh, you, you don't even really understand how you could respond to something that way? I don't understand at 9 or 10 years old how I could have such a reaction to not getting a doll. But I did. And it's one of those things that I will tell for the rest of my life 
and hang my head a little bit lower. I'd be like, yep, that was me. And I loved that doll. And I didn't even care what happened to Danny. It's true. It's really sick. You ever felt like you missed out on something? Like uh, other people are opening up their goodies or gifts are coming to other people or good things are happening to other people and you, you are not a recipient or at least not to the level that they are. Maybe you apply for a scholarship and somebody else gets it or you apply for a job and somebody else gets it or you apply for something and you get it but somebody else gets something better and you feel like you miss out. Or sometimes it's even worse, where you don't get what you think you deserve, some good thing, because nobody ever worries when they don't get what they deserve when it's a bad thing, right? But you, you miss out on something you think you deserve and it's a good thing, and somebody who seems undeserving to you gets it. What's our reaction? It's not a good one. We're not happy for them, are we? Often, it's more of a, I can't believe I didn't get that. Have you ever gotten angry when something good happened to somebody else? Pause and hold on to that thought because we're going to come back to it. Last week we started this series in the parables uh, talking about stories, about how stories, uh, stories have this ability to move us. Stories, the best stories, stir up emotions in us and we can get drawn into a different world and we can interact with a different world. And even the best stories cause us to step back and uh, see our world differently and they can, they can convict us and they can inspire us and they can encourage us and they can challenge us. And Jesus used stories because sometimes the best teaching is not the direct route with just information and I'm just going to tell you What should be? Sometimes the best way is to go around the back door, to sneak in, to to grab somebody's attention and say, oh, this story, this is actually about you. And we're caught unguarded because we can can block pretty well if somebody comes right at us and say, you should do this. No, I'm good. But if somebody can grab our attention and then say, what you're feeling is actually about you. Somehow that pierces us. It has a way in better. Jesus used parables all the time. Some of them are pretty easy to understand and hard to follow through them. Some of them we have to dig in to say, what's he actually saying here? Um, And so last week we jumped in for the first time and said, this summer we want to be a student of Jesus. We want him to mentor us. We want him to teach us. We want to sit at his feet and grow in a relationship with us because so much of his stories are about how Father God looks at us. And we just sang this morning that he's pleased. We want to know what life is like in his kingdom, how we are invited into his kingdom, and how, once invited, we live in that kingdom. And so today we're going to get in, we're going to jump into another parable. And this is the parable that has commonly been called, uh, commonly been called the workers in the vineyard. But rather this morning, rather than Uh, reading the whole parable and then going back and kind of unpacking it, what I want to do is I want to read it in bits. I want to read some and then talk about it and read some and then talk about it. And we'll kind of jump in and out of the parable and try to experience it um, 
almost the way that Jesus' audience would have, though we're separated by a couple thousand years and uh, a few oceans. Um, okay, so uh, let's dig in and let's unpack this story to say, what could you teach us today, Jesus? Let's pray and then we'll jump in. Jesus, your, uh, your invitation and your challenge, your refrain was, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And we pray that that would be true of us. We pray that you would remove um, the earplugs, you would remove the obstacles, you would remove even our fingers and hands as we try to uh, sometimes block what you have to say. That you'd make us humble this morning so that we can receive from you, so that we can be changed. Help us to hear from you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. So uh, this parable is found, if you have a Bible in your hands, it's in Matthew 20, the first uh, 15 verses. If you don't, that's great. We're going to kind of go verse by verse on the screen here. Matthew 20, starting in verse 1, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. That's the setting that Jesus sets up. This is actually a parable that has... It's a fictional story, but it has some truth in reality, like it's historical fiction, like this actually happened. Early in the morning, sometimes in the harvest season, owners of vineyards would seek help and seek daily labor. It's likely 6 a.m. They had a 12-hour workday, and they'd go to the place where people that didn't have steady jobs would wait. They wanted to get hired for the day's work. Uh, They were desperate to work, they wanted to work, they wanted a job, and they would meet in this one place. And if you were an employer and you had a job for the day, you could go find work there. That actually still exists today. If you go to this same area, uh, one commentator who lived there for much of his life will say, "I, I saw this happen. People will congregate in this one area, and vans of employers will come by, and they'll say how many workers they need. And the guys all kind of like rush up to the vehicle to say, I, I can work. Pick me. Choose me. I want to work. I want to work. I'm standing here, and I'm waiting for a job. And uh, the owner goes out, and he tries to, uh, he tries to hire some people. And before we skip over this, I want to pause to say this square where they're meeting to find a job is a humble place. This is not a lofty place. Uh, In the morning when the man and the, the provider of the family gets up and he doesn't have a job. And likely, if he doesn't get a job that day, his family doesn't eat that day. And so they're waiting, and it's a place of humiliation, and it's a place of desperation. So when an employer shows up, There's also some hope in the mix. Verse 2 says, After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius, uh, he sent them into the vineyard. So a denarius was a day's wage. It was not a lot of money, but it was the common wage for a day laborer. What he's doing is not extravagant. What he's doing is not stingy. He's kind of following common suit, say, 
I'll pay you a fair day's wage. And this would be enough to feed the man's family for the day. Not for the week or for the month. He's going to have to go back to the square the next day and find a job. But for today, for today, if he's hired, he has enough to feed his family. They agreed in the parable. They shook hands. They said, that's fair. I will come and work for you. It's what the men were hoping for, and they went to work. And then in verse 3, he says, And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. So this is a few hours later. This is a few hours later in the morning. It's probably 9 a.m. by this point, and the owner comes back. He finds more men who are looking for a job. And this says he finds them idle. That isn't to say we would, I hear idle sometimes and I think lazy. You're just sitting idle. It means they're not working yet. They don't have a job. And so they're standing there. It says they're standing. That's much different than sitting, right? Standing communicates this, I'm ready. I want this. Hire me. Please, I want to work. I don't want to be standing here. I want to be put to work. I have energy, and I need to be productive. I need to provide. They've been standing there for a few hours. They need work, and now time is slipping away. Now the, the likelihood of them being able to provide for their family that day, like it's, it's going down by the hour. And this time, the owner doesn't offer them a a denarius. He says what? I'll pay you what's right. I'll do good by you. I'll pay you what's fair. And I'll pay you what's fair. So that may not be a denarius, but at this point, like they'll take what they can get, and they'll take what's fair. They can't expect more than that. You don't get paid a whole day's work for three hours less of a day, right? So they agree. But you also ask the question, why is he here, the owner? What is he doing? We don't get the... uh, Jesus doesn't tell us that he's an inexperienced worker or an inexperienced owner. It doesn't say that he's young or that he's foolish or that he miscalculated and somehow he went in the morning, hired, and then realized, I got way more work. I need to go hire some more. Like, that could be the case, but he's back. Why is he back? And he hires a few more. What else is happening, maybe? And then Jesus says, going out about the sixth hour, that's noon, and the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m., he did the same thing. Now it seems something is going on with the owner. Either he has no idea how to run his vineyard, or something else is going on in him. Could it be? Could it be compassion? Not handouts, not I'm just, I'm just going to give you all denarius and go feed your family for the day. But could it be compassion that he's coming back and he's actually checking to see, have they all been hired? Did they all get the job that they were looking for? Can they all provide? No, I'm going to hire some more. No, again at noon, I'm going to hire some more. No, again at three, I'm going to hire some more and I'll do what is just I'll do what is right. And then the 11th hour, it's 5 p.m. now. And it's an hour before the workday ends. 
Verse 6 says, about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. So again, if we slow down, I want to feel the ache. These men have been standing there for how many hours? For 11 hours. What are they doing? Playing hacky sack. Nope. They are waiting for someone to hire them. They're not looking to be given a gift. They want to work. They want to provide. And I will... I can only imagine, like I get emotional when I start to study this, and I think of standing there for 11 hours wanting a job and then starting to think about home and starting to think, in an hour, I have to walk home and I have to look in my wife's eyes, in my kids' eyes, and I have to say, not today. I didn't, I didn't get a job today. We don't need today. And it's for a man who is bearing the responsibility of providing for his family. This is humiliation. Utter humiliation. And people have probably been walking by all day. And my guess is that some of them have not been kind. Some of them have offered taunts that they're lazy that they're good for nothing, that they can't provide for their family, they're worthless, and they just want to work. They're standing there for 11 hours. And the owner shows up. I don't know what work he has to do, that really requires more workers for one hour. But he shows up and he says to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go to the vineyard too. And so I don't know what they're thinking like, Oh, we got a job, or oh, we got a, you know, it's, it's an hour. I mean, it's something, but I'm going to go. I've been wanting to work all day. At least I could say I did what I could with the time that I had. And they respond. He offers what they've been hoping for, and even if it's the end of the day, it's something. And now, here, here's where the story gets interesting. Because we're introduced to ache, and we're introduced to humiliation, and we're introduced to the pain of their idleness. And an, an owner who's doing something that's so strange, going back and going back and going back and going back again, and hiring more and more and more men. Something's going on, and now Jesus adds the plot twist. He says in verse 8, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, so this is the first time that he's had a foreman. He introduces a foreman, which now the foreman is going to pay them. Why, wasn't, why didn't the owner send the foreman to the square? Why, why is the owner doing that himself? And I think, it, I think it has to do with his heart. I think it has to do with what's going on in the heart of the owner and what he wants to do. 
So now he talks to the foreman and he says, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. It would have made sense to pay the first first, right? Uh, start with the ones who started at the beginning of the day. You agreed for a denarius. Here's a denarius. Now go feed your family. Well done. Good job today. Good work. If I have work tomorrow, I'll, I'll come and hire you again. But Jesus, and he wants to set something up and pull us in and come around the backside and trick us, Jesus. Jesus sets up this. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Is this fair? No, it's way beyond fair. But he said, uh, I'm going to pay you what's right. I'm going to pay you what's just. So it begs the question, what is justice? Like, what really is justice? We think in our society that it has to be one for one. And maybe justice has a compassion element to it. Maybe something can have compassion and justice at the same time. Maybe justice isn't a cold, hard, and fast thing. The owner claims to be just, and he gives them a denarius, which is incredible. Now, this, this doesn't make them rich, but you know what it does? It gives them dignity. They worked their family gets to eat, and he doesn't have to look in his wife's eyes and see disappointment and see pain, and he doesn't have to listen to his little kids' tummies grumbling. He can go home and say, I got paid today. I got, I got paid today. And let me tell you this story. I worked an hour. I waited 11 hours, and at the end of the day, I got a job for one hour, and he gave me an entire day's wage. I don't, I don't even know what happened, but I don't feel shame right now. I actually feel dignity. You, sir, are not fair. You are more than fair. You go beyond fair. You go beyond justice. Now in verse 10, it says, when those hired first came, so there's a sequence, the last get paid first, and then it kind of goes uh, down to the ones who were hired first. Those who were hired first came, and they thought they would receive more, because who of us wouldn't? If we work the whole day, and someone works one hour, and they get paid what we thought we were going to get for the whole day, it is our natural tendency to say, I'm ready. Give me what's coming to me. Give me what's coming to me. And he puts a denarius in their hand. And what do they do? What? No, 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 no. That's wrong. That can't be right. I saw what you gave them. This is not fair. This is not fair. Question, is he underpaying them? No. Did they agree to it? It's, they're getting exactly what they agreed to. This is not a parable about the underpaid. This is a parable about the overpaid. And what happens with the fairly paid when the overpaid show up in their midst? Does that make sense? What happens when we get what we deserve and somebody gets what they don't deserve? What happens in our hearts? Verse 11 says, On receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, The last worked only one hour, 
And you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And now they're turning their work into a burden, right? They're turning their work into something ugly and what they didn't want when it's exactly what they wanted. They got exactly what they were hoping for at the beginning of the day. But now in comparison, and I think something's happening, and they're wrapping up their identity. They're wrapping up their identity in their production. And they say, if you gave them, them, if you gave them that, how much more should I get? My, I should get so much more than what, I should get 12 times more than that. And they get stuck. So this is a story about grace. And depending on which side of grace you're on, grace can either be amazing or infuriating. There's something in us that when people receive grace, and we would say, you didn't deserve that. Something's happening in us. Nobody cries when we receive grace, I didn't deserve that. The correct response is thank you. When somebody else receives grace, the correct response should be, yes, look at that. That's awesome. I love that for you. But we often don't have that kind of response, do we? And he replied to them in verse 13, friend, which Matthew uses this word for friend three times in his gospel. None of the other gospel writers use it. Friend. And it's a different word from, like, I have called you friends, and we have a friendship kind of love, like phileo, the Greek word. This is a different word. And this word is like when Judas meets Jesus in the garden, and Jesus says, friend. Do what you came to do. It's not all things right in the relationship. There's something that is broken. And the master of the house looks at the men who are now grumbling and he says, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? I have done exactly what I said I would do. I have given you exactly what we agreed on. Verse 14 says, Take what belongs to you and go, which you can either read as a friendly dismissal or as a, I'm probably not hiring you tomorrow. Take what you have, go. Get out of here. I'm done. Verse 15, he says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And literally translated, it says, or is your eye bad because I am good? And this goes to that good eye, bad eye uh, word picture that was common in their culture to say, if you have a good eye, that's a picture of generosity and giving and mercy and compassion that you would look to the needs of others and say, I want to meet them. And a bad eye was stinginess and envy and jealousy or jelliness. (laughs) Strawberry. 
Is your eye bad because I am good? Are you stingy? Are you envious because of my goodness? So the parable is about grace, and it's about envy. And then it ends. He's done. He doesn't give an ending. He doesn't give a conclusion. He doesn't show us resolution. He leaves it with the question, kind of like the parable of the lost sons, when the father goes out to the older son and he says, come into the party. And then he just leaves it. What did he do? Did he go in? And he leaves us there because we are him. Jesus' disciples is who he's talking to. His disciples are the grumbling worker. Is your bad eye, is your eye bad because of my goodness? Are you envious because of the good that I'm giving to others? What do we do with that? First, I think we have to recognize that God cannot be reduced to a formula. God's goodness cannot be reduced to a cold calculation. If I do this, God will do this. If you do this, God will do this. God's goodness and his compassion are consistent, but they show up differently in different people's lives and in different circumstances. So some of you like consistency, and you'd like the idea of justice and fairness to say, it's the same for everybody. And to a degree, that's what God is. My grace is for everybody. But consistency people can get annoyed when grace shows up differently in one person's life from another's. And I think God looks at everybody individually and says, what does grace need to look like in your life? What does my goodness need to look like in your life? How, how can I lavish you? How can I shower you in my goodness today? How can I give it to you today? And it's going to be different for other people. God's goodness surprises us. And when it shows up in other people's lives, and maybe not in ours, or at least not the way that we were expecting this, it causes us envy. Have you ever had that response to somebody? Have you ever had a response where something good happened to something? Maybe something crazy good. They got a gift that is incredible. And you start to process this, and you're like, what? Why not me? I'm, why not me? I have. You probably have. Have you ever let that kind of envy hurt your relationship with that person? So that even more than getting mad or perturbed or envious, you start to treat them differently. You shouldn't have got that. I should have got that. And your relationship actually gets fractured. Instead of celebrating them, you distance yourself from them. I can't even, I can't even stand to be around you anymore. That should have been me. 
if this is in you, and I'm guessing that it is because we're human, if this is in you, you have to recognize it as a sickness. We have to recognize that there is something sick and ill in us that causes us not to cheer for other people when something good happens, but to be envious of other people when something good happens. We've got to recognize that, and then we have to throw envy away. We have to throw comparisons away. God must love them more than he loves me because he gave them that, and we stop looking at all that he has given us. When I'll guarantee you, somebody else is looking at you and thinking the same thing. Somebody else is looking at how God has been good to you, and they're thinking, why not me? We do it. Recognize it as sickness and throw it away. We should be people who cheer for God's goodness. As image bearers of God, we should be, uh, we should be people who not only cheer, but we imitate him. We would be ones that like, bring goodness to others. Micah 6.8 is one of my favorite verses. says, do justice. And don't just do justice, love mercy. Go beyond justice. Get into mercy and compassion and grace. And don't let it puff you up, but walk humbly. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. What a powerful combination. That I could cheer for others when something good happens. That I could be somebody who brings goodness to them as a gift of grace from God, and that I would be able to not get my head inflated in the whole mix. Like, I'm so good. I'm such a gift to others. <laughs> Let's stay away from that. Here's the other talk point, and if I haven't made it clear uh, already, I would say this is our application point. We are dense. We are dense. So many times we can hear something and we can agree with it and then we can go on our way living the same way without changing. So we can say, yep, Shannon, you're right. I have felt envy for somebody else uh, when good has arrived. I'm, I shouldn't, but I forget that. And the next time it happens, I'm going to feel the same way because we're dense. And I want you to hear this. Your identity is not wrapped up in what you produce. God is hilariously generous, and you don't have to compare his goodness to you with his goodness to others. We agree, but we go on living the same way. We compare ourselves to others, and we even get mad at God or at others when they receive something good. Envy is so close, and we're not alone. Within four verses after finishing this parable, you know what Jesus' closest disciples are doing? They're arguing about who gets the seat of honor next to Jesus. And they're talking to mommy. And they're saying, mom, mom, could you work your magic and ask Jesus if you could give us a place next to him? And Jesus just tramples that idea. And he keeps coming back to, guys, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve, and I want you to start to get that. I want you to start to look at other people the way that I look at other people and quit trying to climb over people and quit trying to just always be looking about how you can get 
more. Start looking at other people about how maybe God could give them more. When you were hopeless, he lavished grace on you. Stop trying to earn it. But maybe you're in the hopeless camp today. Maybe you find yourself in that square and you are hopeless and you are ashamed and you have a hard time looking people in the eyes because your life is a mess. And if the owner in the parable is a picture of God, how he keeps coming and how his desire is to bring dignity and healing in your disgrace, he offers grace. And maybe if you're in a place of hopelessness today, for the first time you would open up to Jesus and say, I'm going to cling to grace. I'm going to allow myself to be seen the way you see me, God. And I'm going to quit worrying about producing and start Start believing that you actually want me as a child of yours. He's offering not just justice, but mercy and compassion and dignity. Let him lavish his grace on you. And then, and then, celebrate it when he lavishes it on others. As those who have received grace and goodness from God, we extend it to others. As those who have been given an identity as a child of the king, we treat others with dignity. As those who have been lavished on with God's goodness, this becomes something that we celebrate in others. I fail at this, though. and You probably do, too. And this is the point of the parable that Jesus tells us this to cut us. Jesus tells us so that we would be hurt and we would have a desire to repent. We would have a desire for change. If that's you this morning, let it pierce you. If you struggle with envy when good happens, let this parable pierce you. Let it hurt. Feel the shame of that so that it causes an opening in you to be changed by Jesus, to receive his grace, because my guess is if you are not grace-giving to others, you probably haven't received it yourself. So receive it, and then begin to give it. Seek to be one who celebrates God's goodness in your own life and in the life of others. Don't be like nine or ten year old me just waiting for that cabbage patch doll start to celebrate what God is doing in the lives of others so may we receive God's grace found in Jesus may we let him exchange our shame for dignity May we find our identity in him so that we don't have any interest in comparing ourselves to others. May we celebrate God's goodness in others' lives, especially, especially when they don't deserve it. And may we treat others 
with dignity and with compassion, with justice and with mercy. Let's pray. Father, we call this parable the parable of the workers in the vineyard, and maybe a better title would be the parable of the generous owner. Jesus, you came looking. God, you were not content to leave us in our disgrace. You came looking for us. And time and time and time again, we are not like the men who jumped at a job. We are like people who reject your invitation. Would you open us up to receiving your invitation? Would you open us up uh, to receiving dignity from you? That covers our shame. And would you make us people who celebrate your goodness and activity in other people's lives? Cure us of envy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.